everybody, it's Matt. On today's show, we're going to talk with Paul Melander from Keller Technology. We're going to talk about additive manufacturing and how it's changed the industry. Additionally, we're going to talk about some of our personal experiences and how it's changed our jobs. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Matt. I'm joined today with Paul Melander from the Keller Technology. Uh, uh, how are you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. You know, we've talked a few times now, um, and I feel like what we always say is going to be a short conversation ends up being a pretty lengthy and uh, and good conversation. And uh, uh, you definitely are someone that we wanted to bring on the podcast. And uh, again, thank you. Um, I guess a good start would be is to uh, can can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got your start in manufacturing and, and we'll kind of just kick it off from there. Sure, sure. So um, I got my start in manufacturing like like a lot of us did. Um, it was kind of hereditary. My father was in the manufacturing uh, realm and he worked for Keller technology, uh, for over 35 years. So I was always getting stories and going to the company picnics and taking a tour of the shop. So when I turned 16, um, my dad said, how'd you like a summer job? And I said, sure, you know, let's earning money is good. And, uh, I thought I was going to be mowing grass or something like that. The next thing I know I'm standing in front of a big old 1950s style blueprint machine, uh, inhaling ammonia fumes, running blueprints and learning how to accordion fold those. And, uh, so yeah, I spent a, my first summer fo- folding br- blueprints and, and to be honest with you, it was, uh, it was a test in persistence, but, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. And the, the engineers and Machinists would chat me up during lunch and as they were passing through the uh, blueprint room. And, uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with it. So uh, I'm the proverbial apple that didn't fall too far from the Mm -hmm. tree. So uh, then I went to college for industrial technology, got my degree uh, and and ended up down in Texas with uh, Texas Instruments. So. uh, after that, I ended up in uh, uh, Mississippi at Holly Automotive, who's pretty popular with the uh, the hot routers, and uh, then into the automation world, where I've pretty much stayed for uh, the remainder of my years, about 20 years in, in automation. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I am where I am. So I've, I've had a great opportunity getting into a lot of different manufacturing facilities, talking to a lot of people, seeing a lot of new technologies applied and, and old ones improved. So it's, it's, it's really pretty exciting, uh, what I do if you're, if you're into the, uh, how things are manufactured kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's funny that you mentioned, uh, when you went to work for your dad, you thought you'd be mowing the grass. Uh, for me, that's exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> I, my dad is a steel worker, uh, and they needed help around the shop. And when I got there, I ended up just mowing the grass and cutting weeds. So it, yeah. it's it's funny, well, but it's better than cleaning out the coolant tanks, right? No, yeah, so I no, guess you no, were no for sure. There was definitely uh, 
uh, they call it the pit, and it's just filled with oil. So someone had to clean it. Yeah. Luckily, it was not me. Yeah, yeah, luckily. No, <laughs> there was times I wished I was outside instead of in a room uh, running a blueprint machine, but um, it, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty good job. And I worked at Keller uh, throughout my summers at, at, in high school and then also while I was going to school. So I was able to, to pay my way as I went, yep. and I got out of uh, college without any debt and a job lined up. So it's not as easy for the young, the young uh, adults these days. Right. Uh, but I was pretty fortunate in that uh, I was able to do that. And I think I think to build on that is is even though you were running blueprints, you you were seeing what what your dad did, what everyone else did. So you kind of you weren't going into what you wanted to do later in life blindly. You you saw it firsthand, um, and, yeah. and kind of helped you, you know, solidify what you wanted to do um, as you yeah, got older. Yeah, absolutely. It still took me a little while to decide I actually wanted to do that, but um, yeah, it was you know filing records. I I helped in cost estimating and purchasing, and back those days it was adding machines and pencils and paper. You know, it was pre-personal uh, computers. So, yep. you know, that whole process has evolved. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's still basically the same. It's, you know, the cost of your parts and the cost of your labor to assemble. And, uh, you know, you make these amazing machines that that make products that everybody uses that mm-hmm. are, you know, in people's homes and they don't realize how it's made, right? Yep. So. Um, I had a unique perspective in that regard. I also had engineers that could check my drafting homework for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I that, think I used that was to, kind of a luxury. Yeah, I think <laughs> I used a drafting table my freshman year of high school, um, and then we transitioned to computers after that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm maybe ten years ahead of you or so. So we were <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe longer than that. Yeah. Maybe twenty. We yeah, uh, yeah we. You know, and it was it was kind of neat. It was the artist in me coming out. I'm a musician, but I liked I really liked drafting. You could put your mm-hmm. own personal spin on the lettering, and and your you could have a style, so to speak. So, my first job, I was designing uh, fixtures for uh, holding investment castings yep. on large CNC machines, and you know, my drafting table at Texas Instruments was. I looked out the window and I saw the skyline of downtown Dallas. So yep. I was in I was in hog heaven when I uh, when I got my first job and realized, hey, it's 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 happened for real. Now I'm one of the uh, the engineers on a drafting board. Yeah, being a lefty, uh, drafting table was difficult. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, yeah. you know, just wiping my hand across everything I just did. So so computers have, yeah. have definitely been a a plus. For I'm assuming most left-handed engineers. Yeah, no doubt, no um, doubt. And your lettering's a whole lot better with the computer. Too. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so we've touched on it briefly um, in in past conversations, and, and we kind of talked about it a little bit here. But um, one of the things I want to talk to you about, because um, because I know we've discussed it before, is um, just with your experience across you know the industry. And that's uh, additive manuf- additive manufacturing. Um, you know, I'm dealing with it. You know, and it's kind of um, it's it's blown up, obviously, right over the years. Um, 
Uh, but it's been around for, for a long time. It's just uh, the price of it has gone down significantly to a point where it's becoming more popular and, and more more people are adapting it. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain on it and and see what you had to share about it and um, any stories you have to share or anything like that. Sure. Um, you know, additives been, like you said, around for a long time. It It started out maybe you know, as a kind of a hipster thing, right? So you got this little $2,000 or $3,000 printer on someone's desk, desktop to make widgets. And that's that's cool and that's great as a, I think, a training aid and to start getting the younger generation kind of uh, exposed to, to this technology. I think it it's pretty exciting. I mean, people were literally printing parts so they could make their own printer, right? Yep. Yep. And, but, and, and I think, you know, but when it, when it, it takes a whole lot to get a new process, uh, adopted in the manufacturing world. I mean, manufacturers are kind of, you run into a lot of walls and barriers, right? So I think what's happened is when you get the technology has evolved. So now you have a lot more metal metals, different alloys available. So you have your powder metals, you have Mm -hmm. a lot of different technologies, whether that's uh, laser fusing or whether that's binder jet and then a a um, post-process firing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's there's a lot of technologies and they have advantages and disadvantages. Cost and speed has been a barrier, but you know, they're, they're breaking through those things and it's finally starting to go mainstream. And I think what's really held it back here recently is, um, other industries needed to catch up, right? I think additive manufacturing got a lot of attention and, and the process evolved rapidly and other, other aspects of the whole process, the holistic, the big picture view of what it would take it's taken a while for those things to catch up. And one of the big ones that's helped a lot of industries is cheap computing power. Yep. The other thing is, is the software necessary to design parts, you know, uh, something different than a block with four holes in it or yep. an angle bracket, right? What we needed was the software that's kind of a add-in to your, your – uh, your design software, your like your solid well, works. Yeah, it's, it's funny. And you're, de- yeah. you're designing lattices, right? Yeah. You're designing parts that can't be manufactured mm-hmm. any other way. They're 10 times as strong and 10 times lighter, right? right? And I think that's helped, plus just the thinking and the young engineers coming up that have been involved with FIRST Robotics and they're excited to be engineers. They're thinking of new ways, right? They want to, mm-hmm. they really want to, to change the way things are done. And they, you know, they keep, they keep up with the persistence and, and the next thing, you know, things are starting to change. I, I think yep. in 10 years, we're going to look back and go, wow, a lot's happened in the last 10 years. Well, I mean, cause we, so, uh, our engineering group, we bought our first 3d printer. Um, and that's just the, um, just the the filament fill kind, and we 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 purchased it in 2012, and we had a 
going from our CAD software to a physical component, we had to go through three different softwares to get mm-hmm. it to a point where we could print. Uh, I All bought, right. and, and we paid a boatload of money for that. Uh, you know, we put a down payment on a house, basically. You know, mm-hmm. and and I bought another one, our second one, um, two years ago for $1,000. Uh, it basically direct drop right from my CAD software. Um, and everything, you know, it was, I could fit probably four or five of the last printer I bought inside the first one just because mm-hmm. the the amount of technology and how it's changed. And, you know, it took someone finally to see, oh, there's, you can make money doing this. And people put mm-hmm. money behind it and and, and really has, has pushed the technology to to a whole new level, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what we're doing and, and, and the amount of industries now that have adopted it, you know, aerospace, right? You know, they're, they're making, uh, you know, in terms of metal, they're making fuel injectors, right? Those are, are on, you know, those. Yeah, they're, they're making rocket engines, yeah. right? right? So, yeah, and I, I think those industries where it's really beneficial for them to take a 20-part assembly yeah. and all the fasteners or welding processes and and turn it into one part that's lighter and stronger and it's optimized yeah. to the to the task and you know there's there's going to be a lot of uses for it you know we use it uh at, at keller for prototyping um you know so an engineer that's coming up with a concept for a machine can can print out um you know, some parts and do some bench testing that yep. ultimately can prove or disprove the concept very quickly. But, you know, that's that's a big advantage, well, just, right, just, to be able to prove something like that. Some people are just visual um, people, right? So it's, sometimes it's just worth it just to print it and show someone, right? They can't – people, people struggle yep. to look at a, a CAD model on the monitor and say, you know, how big is that? What – what, how what can you use for work, reference or right? how does it work? Or I, I can't really tell mm-hmm. unless I have it in my hand. So, you know, yep, that, you know, give me an hour yep. and I can have it for you. Yep. And that's, that can be done too. So it literally the, the conceptual mm-hmm. uh, prototypes that were printed to, to help the engineer determine if the concept work, then ultimately get turned over uh, and they go to the customer and help, from a sales standpoint, yep. you know, you, you have to sell the concept to the customer right. as well in the automation business. So, yep. yeah, absolutely. But I, I think, you know, I think that's already here. Mm-hmm. I think what we're going to see, though, as new engineers with new ideas come in with this powerful software at their disposal, they're going to start designing parts that, you know, just couldn't even be imagined before because there was no mm-hmm. way to make them, but right. there's going to be. And I think that's where you need the entire gr- the entire organization on board with, hey, we're going to de- develop this new assembly and we're really going to try to take advantage of adi- additive manufacturing and we're going to start with engineering mm-hmm. and it's going to go all the way through manufacturing and all the way through um, production and some of the other things in the additive landscape that that people didn't really take into account that are that are 
coming up to speed now is the post processes. Mm -hmm. So you print this part and it's got uh, supports and other things and the surface finish isn't necessarily what it needs to be. So you would, there would be a lot of hand processing to remove supports and, yep. and grind and polish. And some of those tasks are being automated now as well. So I think that's all going to help. Um, you know, there's even companies out there now that have a completely automated process where you literally download or or upload the file yep. into the and, and it not only does it print it, then it removes the supports and it yep. polishes it and paints it and it comes out as a finished part. Yeah, I mean, but, the, you see the rapid prototyping. I mean, it's literally marketed yeah, it's, everywhere. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an entire line now. Yep. You know, I don't know, additive manufacturing, I don't think is ever going to replace uh, um, subtractive, subtractive yep. manufacturing. I think it's going to, I think they're going to uh, work in tandem. You know, there's yeah. still parts that it's going to make sense to to cut off a piece of bar stock and drill some holes in it mm -hmm. um, and it's done. But I think it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a blend. And, yeah. you know, there's probably other technologies out there that that are going to play a role as well. But I think manufacturing is going to I mean, it's already changed a lot in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Even CNC machining's come a long way in the last 10 years. But I think in the next 10, uh, you know, it's another you know, I know you're here hear the term Internet of Things and yep. Industry 4.0, but I think it's really going to happen. And it's not just going to be because of, you know, computer chips being in everything. I think it's going to be on how we manufacture parts is going to be a big part of it. Too. Yeah, I, I mean, because you got to think, right, one of my machine shop, you know, someone I've been dealing with for 10 years, you know, they we send them a part, you know, and he's able to give me that feedback and say, I can make this, but I can make it a lot cheaper and a lot easier if you did this instead. And, and mm -hmm. you, you don't you don't have that type of feedback from an added manufacturing environment, right? It just it'll make whatever you tell it to make, uh, with support material or other type of, of of mechanism. And and so you know I feel that when we do have that you know that human interaction. Um, you know, myself and my team, you know, we become better engineers because, you know, we're producing the same amount of output, but we're making it easier, we're making it simple. And and sometimes you use additive manufacturing for cost savings and lead time savings, but sometimes it's probably more cost prohibitive to do additive manufacturing, like you said. And and, and you get that with, with human feedback. Yeah, I think you're going to have... You know, just like you have a CNC machinist or a specialist in yep. removing material, you know, hogging a part out of a billet, I think you're going to have the same type of um, operator, technician, engineer that's going to be running a uh, additive manufacturing yep. system. I think there's definitely going to be design considerations and ways to make parts print better, faster, mm -hmm. utilize less material. Um you know, that's one thing people don't understand, and I just started realizing this maybe within the last year, you know, um, when a company, you know, there's a company out there now that takes the scrap parts and mm -hmm. grinds them up and atomizes them and turns them back into powder. And the, and the reason that's 
really a good idea in my opinion is because uh, pure metal powder is expensive, right? Yep. And, uh, and you know, the size needs to be uniform and consistent. And some with some parts, you know, lot traceability, you need to know where that material came from and uh, have the specs on it, so to speak, uh, the paperwork that follows it. So I think it's a great idea to turn it back into powder. But I think what people don't realize is the amount of uh, parts that don't come out as intended because they warp or mm -hmm. there's a misprints or something. Yep. So I think ultimately there's going to be specialists in both, you know, not only the engineers understanding the design constraints of additive, and, and there may be a lot fewer of them than yep. in machining, but um, we'll probably realize that there's just as many. But yeah. then there's also going to be experts in what you can do to make things print better. And I think you're still going to get that interaction back and forth that you talked about. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. You're just going to be able to build parts with that platform that you can't – it's not physically possible to make them with a subtractive process. Um, so you can only make them with an additive process. Yeah, for example, so. oh. a part that transitions from one material to another mm -hmm. when that's – a big benefit. So maybe the part starts out aluminum and trans or stainless steel and transition to some type of a copper alloy because, yeah. um, you know, it, it, that's beneficial to the design, right? So mm -hmm. you can never do that. No, uh, yeah, historic. that's yeah. We we've talked about stuff like that. You know, we we investigated a, a metal printer at one point, um, mm -hmm. just just to just to see how much it costs, and uh, we we were working with someone who just got one and they said, it's great. Uh, I've never had a better chess set. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, other than that though, I haven't, haven't actually used it. So, uh, so yeah, well, we're starting to see it in yeah. our business. You okay. know, we, we work with some of the large companies out there that are really starting to push the envelope. And, um, I think you're going to see it. I just mm -hmm. think it's, again, it's going to take time. People, you know, you get a new tool, right? Mm -hmm. A new process. You have to figure out what to do with it. But I think, I think that's gonna happen with, uh, like I said, with the software, yeah. the new powerful software tools, and uh, a younger generation of engineers that just think—they're thinking out of the box, just like I right. did 30 years ago. And, and I think like, it's it's more commonplace yeah. than people realize too, you know, um, mm -hmm. that, that it is being used, um, you know, because ultimately at the end of the day, right, you, you shouldn't be able to tell the difference between one or the other. Um, it would take someone to know that that's just impossible to make traditionally. So they had to do something different. Um, mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, I, I think I did, I looked once and, you know, um, McLaren uses them on uh, the rear fin of their race cars. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you, you just might not look at it and think that that's what they're using to make those, but, you know, here it is. Yeah. It's a honeycomb just, structure or some type of a lattice work that makes yeah. it extremely light right. yet extremely strong. Yeah. The other thing additive can do that's much harder with traditional uh, processes is the customization aspect of mm -hmm. it, right? So... You know, you talked about auto racing, let's say bicycle racing, right? Yep. You could literally print a customized helmet for a, a cyclist that 
was anatomically fit perfectly to their head and had yep. an extremely lightweight, would allow air to flow through it, yet would have, you know, the impact resistance that it needed in, in um, if there was a crash. So, right. or, or shoes, you know, you know, they're printing running shoes now that are extremely lightweight. You know, they transition, they have different materials. Shock absorption can be uh, customized to what area of the foot you want, mm -hmm. what amount of shock absorption and and it's it fits your fit, foot perfectly right because you're right. literally it's one of a kind product customization so yeah. or, or sunglasses whatever it is think about the you know every human body is slightly different so you know you can uh customize uh you know i've even seen casts where there's a 3d yep. printed cast now instead of plaster that you can literally, it's like a clamshell, so you can take it on and off if you want to wash and, and such and, uh, and snap it back on, and it's a perfect anatomical fit, you know. We'll just uh, think of like um, your bones. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's that definitely. And, and, cool and stuff. Me and medical is obviously that's, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's crazy things like, you know, printing organs, right? I mean, that's. You know mm -hmm. those types of things. You know, and 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 I think um, you know that they even are able to. You know, the the surgeon can print a model of your organ, so that they can mm -hmm. plan their course of action during the surgery. Plan the surgery. Yeah. You know, so they can um, see where the tumor is and right and plan how they're gonna. Yeah, it helps them with. It's it's essentially their conceptual. Yeah. Uh, model so to speak again yeah. like you said it's you know a 3d type of software mm -hmm. on a 2d screen is good but having a model in your yeah. hand um is even better especially for the the risky stuff yeah. right the brain surgery and stuff heart yeah. surgery um so I, I think you mentioned you had a story i don't know how you know we got a little <laughs> bit of time left i don't know if you want to try to squeeze it in um um, well, I have a lot of stories, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you talked about my career and, and yeah. how I got my start and, you know, obviously the blueprint stories, uh, the very beginning, but early on, relatively early on in my career, after I had, uh, gone into, uh, uh, tier one automotive, uh, that was, that was a different environment. It was high pressure. Um, there was a lot of eyes looking at what you were doing. And so I, I got into this new facility and, and I'd mentioned it, it was Holly automotive. It's no longer Holly, but, mm -hmm. uh, they had a machine in that facility that was, uh, producing, uh, parts for throttle bodies. So it was a very important part because if the part wasn't assembled correctly, it could cause deadly accidents. Uh, essentially the engine would go to wide open throttle and, uh, that would be bad. So, um, because of that, they had put, um, uh, uh, process monitoring, uh, type of, uh, tools on this thing. So I guess to make a long, long story shorter, the, the machine produced, you know, 40% scrap on some days, Yep, broke a lot of tooling and it was a, a, a radial riveting assembly process. And so me not being f 
at all familiar with this process. I went out and looked at the machine and started asking questions as to why we were doing things and how were we doing it and why were we doing it. And, you know, I hit a lot of barriers because nobody wanted to be the guy that asked the uh, automotive customer to change the process. We can't change the process. We've always done it this way. So I guess uh, I, I didn't want to take that as an answer. So mm. we started making some improvements to the machine. And instead of a, a hard stop, we took the, the hard stop out and we went to a time and pressure process where we tried to limit the force so we didn't deform product and break tooling. And we got it better, but it still wasn't as good as we thought, but uh, it could be. So uh, and then within the next year, I ended up changing jobs and going to an automation company who happened to be the automation company that that uh, built a lot of equipment for, for Holly. So once I was there, I, I teamed up with the, the engineer that took my place and uh, he didn't have a problem uh, telling people this is what we're going to do mm -hmm. and, and saying we're going to change the process. So we built a prototype tool. We completely changed the way the tool uh, tooling was holding the part and realized we could put 10 times as much force into the part mm -hmm. with the new tooling with no, no damage. And we changed the process, built a new machine. And to this day, that machine's still, still running, uh, making zero scrap. Um, and, but but what's what's funny is is they were going to buy another one of the old machines and the solution was well if we're making this much scrap we just need more capacity so we can get the good parts out that we need but we're going to still make a lot of scrap and mm -hmm. and and throw a lot of money away on tooling because yep. we're breaking it and and ultimately just because some new ideas came in that wouldn't take no for an answer and were willing to push back a little bit, mm -hmm. we ultimately uh, solved the problem. And instead of three machines making a whole, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of scrap yep. each year, there's one machine that made zero scrap and made only good parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was funny because I kept in touch with that engineer for 20 years. And yep. every time I could called down there or send an email out the the first line of the response was yep machine's still running <laughs> you know no no scrap so yep. you know that was probably um it was very gratifying as a manufacturing person yep. and a manufacturing engineer to be part of a solution that a team of people work together to to solve the biggest problem in the facility and really um come away with a with a huge success um and a story to tell for the yeah. next uh 20 25 30 years no, no no that's that's great and you know paul that you know I, I can't tell you enough but that's you know exactly why you know we want someone like you on the show you know um our our goal um is we want those people that are pushing technology pushing manufacturing you know not being okay with hundreds of thousands of dollars of scrap and saying, I can do this better. We can do this better. Yeah. You know, and, and you guys do that with your product, right? Yeah. I mean, when you came out, I mean, I was probably 
you know, I, I talked to ProMest when you guys were, you know, just starting yep. out as a company with a new product. You know, everything was hydraulics and mm-hmm. pneumatics, which all had their disadvantages. And we used uh, one of your uh, uh, servo presses mm-hmm. with feedback to to press fuel injectors into fuel rails. Yep. And we could literally tell if the O-ring, we could tell if the fuel injector had been pressed into the fuel rail previously. We could tell the difference by looking at the curve, whether it was uh, uh, essentially a, a fuel rail that had been reclaimed mm-hmm. and the fuel injectors taken out and put in a second time or whether it was a, a part fresh from yep. the... Uh, from the supplier it was insanely sensitive and you know it really solved a big problem with you know um with nicked fuel rings because it's another thing that you don't want to have happen in an automobile is have fuel spraying over (laughs) inside an engine compartment right that's that's a bad day so you know your your technology really really took you know, took it to the next level as far as what you were able to tell as you were pressing apart. Yeah. So in other words, you didn't have to try to inspect the quality in. You could verify that you were making a quality part while you were, while you were assembling it or while you were processing yep. it. So it's huge, yep. you know, yep, and definitely. We, we see those things now and it's like, it's it's almost like we expect that type of, of feedback in a lot of processes, but it wasn't that long ago where you had none of that. The mm-hmm. best you could do would be get a maybe a snapshot of the force at, at a certain yep. point during the uh, press stroke or multiple points. Um, but what you did with the whole uh, uh, force curve over distance and the resolution and the power of the software was was a big deal back yeah. back when it first came out. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, um, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think that's all the time we got for today, Paul. I, I definitely think this is going to be our first conversation of many. Um, I definitely enjoy the conversation, um, and, and I'm definitely we're gonna we're gonna be reaching out to you for more, and I, and I know you have more. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I want to thank you again um, for joining the show. Um, is there anything that you wanted to mention or say before we wrap things up? No, other than, you know, thanks for the opportunity. Um, you know, I, I appreciate it, uh, given, given the, the platform to, uh, to kind of tell some stories because I think ultimately, uh, we want to get, we want to get young people excited about manufacturing careers again, and we want to encourage them to pursue not just engineering degrees, but technician and manufacturing positions. And a lot of times they're, there's great jobs available in manufacturing and, and, you know, maybe these stories get to someone and say, I can do that. And they go out and they get a job and they start out on the floor and then the company sends them to training and school and it becomes a great career for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we need those successes. Yep. We really do. Yep. Well, great. Uh, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, uh, if, if you have any comments or anything, be sure to, to, to leave a review. Um, but other than that, until next time, thank you. Thank you.
This podcast was brought to you by Promise Incorporated, hosted by Matthew Rawl, produced by myself, Lauren Rawl, mixed and edited by Ben Parsons. Please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast at promiseinc.com. Thank you.